Our Father, we always uh, come to you with the same thought, which is that it's only by your grace and the abundance of that that we have this access and that we have any boldness at all before you. So, Father, I, I just thank you for that perfect sacrifice of our Lord Jesus, the shedding of his blood, the full payment for our sins, his death, his burial, and his glorious resurrection. Uh, and now is his session at your right hand, uh, just waiting until the time comes to issue the call to us that we might be brought up into your presence to fulfill our our heavenly inheritance. So, Father, we thank you for that hope. It's a glorious one. There are many things to be thankful for. So we certainly thankful are thankful for all things. And, uh, Father, I pray for our nation and leaders um, under constant attack by the enemy, of course, and, and without... Without um, your help, Father, there'd be no resolution to these issues the nation faces and the world faces. So, Father, we just commit them to you. Uh, we all do. And we all look to you, Father, to see what you will do in these days. And I pray, Father, that you deliver our nation from the evil one and his servants, Father, who are so visible. Father, as we look into your word now, I pray that you would uh, bless us greatly. And uh, as you do that, Father, uh, we'll give you great thanks and praise in Christ's holy and precious name. Amen. We've reached the point in our study here today on the day of the Lord. Remember, three phases to the day of the Lord. First of all, the tribulation period, seven years long. Secondly, the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ to this earth. And the third phase, the kingdom, the 1,000-year millennial kingdom where Christ rules as king. And uh, praise the Lord for that, uh, the coming kingdom. Uh, that is a time when... when uh, Christ will reign upon this earth. Uh, he will reign upon this earth. And uh, that is uh, something that uh, has been promised to his people, the Jews. And at that time, as we have seen, and we've looked at much scripture uh, that teaches us, but at that time, many things on this earth will change. And that's our focus today, along with next time, Lord willing, as I, I hope to finish up this section here, there'll be one or two remaining things to focus on. One is the kingdom uh, land promises and uh, what they are and how that will be fulfilled. And then we'll uh, finish up the study on the kingdom altogether. And then only one thing remaining before we finish this whole series, and that will be on the uh, new heavens and the new earth. So that is our plan, and that's where we will be, Lord willing, uh, within a few weeks. Okay, uh, last time we looked at the sacrificial system again that will be established in the kingdom, and we uh, went into that in some detail and finished up that 
part of our study, and we saw that um, there will be a sacrificial system in the kingdom, and um, that will accomplish a ceremonial cleansing for the people who are living under kingdom law at that time, not perfectly, imperfectly, at least if they're living under that law with human bodies as we have today, and that seems to be the case according to prophecy. Okay, so um, th that sacrificial system will allow ceremonial uh, fellowship there uh, under the kingdom law, uh, under the terms of the uh, new covenant that will have been established fully at that time. Um, also, those sacrifices will look back, of course, to the completed work of Christ on Calvary's cross. He is the Lamb of God, right, and will be displayed as that in the kingdom period. So that was what we finished up last time. Today, uh, we want to look at the kingdom now. Um, uh, everything today that I say in the scriptures we look at is focused on really one thing, and that is what, what is the nature of the kingdom? What is the essential nature of the coming millennial kingdom? Because there are so many misunderstandings about this, so many, many misunderstandings, because so many are trying to mix law and grace together that they confuse both and really destroy the, uh, the essence of each of them. Law is law, grace is grace. Paul in Romans 11 makes that so very, very clear, right? But uh, that this has been confused so long in the teachings and the churches, um, it's affected really everyone's understanding to a degree. Uh, all of our uh, understandings here have been uh, greatly uh, impacted by rightly dividing the word of truth that's made such a difference to our understanding. And the scriptures have been open to us as we've seen these distinctions between Israel and, and the church and between law and grace and so forth, works and faith alone. Uh, we've seen these distinctions. But uh, I know from personal experience, myself and others, I've ministered to and with that that the ideas about the kingdom that have been propagated down through the centuries have had their their uh, consequence in uh, misunderstandings and i want to um, speak to that today and next time especially but but today will be an introduction for our study next time so let's first of all just ask this question before we actually look into the word. Let's ask this great question. What is a kingdom? <laughs> um, <clears throat> because I think that there's much uh, implied scripturally by that term, and we may not have any concept of that or an improper concept of it uh, today uh, just, just because of uh, our upbringing, our environment, uh, and so forth, right? And uh, so the big question will be, what is a kingdom? Because uh, scripture is very much about a coming kingdom, and unless we know what a kingdom is, we can't understand that kingdom, right? That's yet to come. 
First of all, kingdoms demand a rule of law. By the way, everything I'm saying now will will give scripture to support this as we go along today and next time. But kingdoms demand a rule of law and a lawgiver, a lawgiver that he's the one who provides that. In fact, he's um, the prophet that will perfectly give forth that rule of law. And kingdoms then uh, also require um, the king himself, right, who will execute that law. Okay, so that's the government that God will establish on this earth. It will be a kingdom like no other kingdom that has ever existed before throughout all the centuries of time. A kingdom far different and a kingdom that will be perfect because the king himself who will be also the lawgiver and the executor of that law, he himself is perfect, right? And not subject to the failures of the kings of the past. So he'll be the supreme lawgiver in that kingdom and the supreme enforcer of that law. He'll set the standard of what's right and good. He will demand respect as every king does. And with that will be the requirement of submission and obedience to the law of the king, right? The law of the kingdom. Um, Now, if that's the case, then uh, it's easy to see that this has everything to do with the life of the kingdom. And I think that's really where our focus next time ought to be. What is the life of the kingdom? And when we study this, we're going to understand great differences between that rule, uh, yet future there in the millennial kingdom, and what we have today under grace. There are great differences. The whole way of life of the kingdom yet to come is not the same as the way of life we're under today, under grace, where we have today the abundance of grace, and that is the rule. It is not kingdom law. So those are the kinds of uh, misunderstandings that must be avoided. Now, if we don't rightly divide the word of truth and we don't understand the dispensational plan of God very well, then we're certainly not going to understand what Scripture says about the coming kingdom. Um, Grace is not the keynote of the coming kingdom. Law is, (laughs) okay? Uh, Yes, our Lord's death was required for that kingdom to ever be established. It was also required for us to have ever received the abundance of grace, right? But uh, as we'll see, uh, grace is not the keynote of the coming kingdom, but rather perfect law with the perfect lawgiver, and uh, himself being a special kind of high priest, and even according to the order of Melchizedek, as we saw last last time and the time before here in our studies. Okay, um, so many kingdoms have come and gone, but none of them have fulfilled the overriding purpose of God that ultimately will be fulfilled once he establishes his kingdom on this earth. Um, So let's just uh, jump into it. Um, 
our outline today is pretty simple. And I've picked scriptures that, first of all, show us Israel's kingdom hope as promised, as promised, Israel's kingdom hope promised. Secondly, rekindled, that hope rekindled. Thirdly, that kingdom hope prepared. Then that kingdom hope offered. And then that kingdom hope received, received. So promised, rekindled, prepared, offered, and received. And as we do this, I want us to look at this from a certain perspective, and I just outlined that a moment ago. But uh, the perspective is that what's been promised through prophecy for the coming kingdom is very, very specifically revealed. There are a lot of dimensions to it, and the prophecies say what those are in great, great detail using certain key key words. And so I want us to see what those are as we go along here. And when we do see that, we'll see how different that will be from what we have today. Yes, we're in a kingdom today, but we're not in that kingdom. And it's very important to see that difference. Okay, so first of all, Israel's kingdom hope promised. Um, Genesis chapter 49 uh, is um, the record of Jacob's final words to his sons. And there he gives prophecies relating to his sons, <clears throat> uh, who are the heads, of course, of the 12 tribes, right? And those prophecies relate to the coming kingdom. So, Lewis, I'd like you to read. It's just one verse there. It says a lot. It's just one verse. Uh, Genesis chapter 49, verse 10. Lewis, please, please read that for us. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh come, and unto him shall be a gathering of the people be. Thank you, Lewis. Okay. Notice some of these key words here, scepter, lawgiver, and then gathering or regathering of his people, right? These three things will define the coming kingdom. The scepter speaks of the king, and as we'll see, it speaks of the king's power to defeat his enemies and the nation's enemies at that time, right? And uh, there'll be a regathering of the people. The a nation of Israel, the, the Jews that, uh, are not a nation today, but they are still a people, right? And they are dispersed across the face of the earth. But in due time, at the second coming of Christ, there'll be a regathering and there'll be an elect nation uh, of believers, right, of believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. They will have taken Christ as their Messiah, right, by faith, and the kingdom will be established then with this regathered people. Notice that's all there in Genesis chapter 49, verse 10. Now, there are other amazing prophecies. You remember Balaam, Balaam, uh, uh, <laughs> 
remember Balaam's ass who speaks, you know. Uh, <clears throat> Balaam was a reluctant prophet, but he was a prophet, and, and God gave them him an amazing uh, prophecy. I'll just read a couple of verses in Numbers chapter 24. I'll just read uh, verse 17, 18, and 19. I shall see him, but not now. I shall behold him, but not nigh. There shall come a star out of Jacob, and a scepter shall arise out of Israel, and shall smite the corners of Moab, and destroy all the children of Sheth, and Edom shall be a possession. Seir also shall be a possession for his enemies, and Israel shall do valiantly. Israel shall do valiantly. <laughs> they will be victors, finally. Out of Jacob shall come he that shall have dominion, and shall destroy him that remaineth of the city. So the city of Jerusalem will be dominated uh, by God's enemies, but uh, they'll be destroyed when the star comes out of Jacob. Who's the star? Of course, uh, the seed of the woman, Israel's Messiah, our Lord Jesus Christ at his second coming. Notice that the the words are used again there, the word scepter, right? Uh, destruction uh, of God's enemies and Israel's enemies is very clearly revealed here. Deliverance will come out of Jacob uh, uh, through the seed of the woman. Uh, this is clearly physical destruction of God's enemies. You cannot spiritualize this without destroying the whole meaning of the prophecy. Okay, and that's what they understood it to be at that time, right? And that's uh, what it truly means. Now, uh, Linda, I want you to read for us this wonderful thing. Uh, we've th th This revelation here, it's, it's generally called Hannah's song and a song of praise to God, right? First Samuel chapter 2, verses 7 through 10. Linda? The Lord maketh the poor and maketh the rich. He bringeth low and he lifteth up. He raises up the poor out of the dust and lifteth up the beggar from the dunghill to set them among princes and to make them inherit the throne of glory. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and he has set the world upon them. He will keep the feet of his saints, and the wicked shall be silent in the darkness, for the strength shall no man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken in pieces. Out of heaven shall he thunder upon them, and the Lord shall judge the ends of the earth, and he shall give strength unto his king, and exalt the horn of his anointed. Okay, thank you, Linda. So, again, it's judgment on God's enemies through the coming king who will rule clearly on this earth from that city. You know, that city, of course, will be Jerusalem. That's where the throne will be. And remember, uh, Messiah will build a temple. It'll be built not with human hands, right? <laughs> He'll build the temple. And uh, that city will be the city of God, <laughs> finally. And uh, God's promises for his people will be fulfilled. And, and you see here, yes, there, there will be um, a great blessing for his people. They'll live in peace finally. Uh, and uh, those that have been 
the dust of the earth and treated as such beggars, he says, uh, whatever, um, they're going to inherit the throne of glory. And the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and he has set the world upon them. Oh, praise God for this, right? Notice not only spiritual blessings, but great physical blessings will come to God's people at that time. Now, there are a lot of places we could look for other scripture that supports this. And uh, the Psalms are full of such, and uh, I just refer you to the second Psalm and the 45th Psalm, uh, just to see that uh, clearly revealed. If we had time, of course, we'd, we'd look at that here this morning, but, but we don't. But uh, so be it. Um, scripture is written. It's been preserved. The promises are there. And apart from rightly dividing and understanding them, taking them literally, there's no hope of understanding what God will be doing at that time and understanding the differences between that and what we have today. Okay, let's, but let's continue. Um, our second point, Israel's kingdom hope rekindled. Now, it needed to be rekindled. After all, God brought great judgment upon the people for their rebellion, right? And that rebellion began when the law was given. You remember Moses came down off of the mountain with the tablets, and what did he find? Gross rebellion, idolatry uh, of the worst sort. And he broke the tablets, and then um, nearly 40 years later, the law was given again, and uh, then they came into the promised land, and he established a, a period of, uh, of uh, government by, uh, not by kings, uh, <clears throat> but by prophets and, and by uh, other rulers called judges, right? Pretty long period of time. Finally, uh, Saul was, uh, <laughs> was crowned king. Uh, <laughs> that was not such a great choice uh, at all, but... Um, and he was set aside, right? And then David was set upon the throne in, in due time. So one of you doesn't have your mic uh, muted, by the way. If you'd mute that, that would be a good thing. Okay, so even uh, during the time of the kingdom, right, uh, the Davidic kingdom, things didn't go well. And finally, David dies, passes the kingdom over to his son Solomon. Solomon reigns. It's a glorious time in many ways for Israel. Their enemies are put down, and uh, the nation is greatly blessed in a physical way there in the land, right? But when Solomon dies, the kingdom then is divided and uh, many, many years uh, of uh, judgment begin to fall upon that nation because they return to idolatry and the Canaanite religion. And uh, eventually God carries them off into bondage. But about the time when he's doing that, carrying them off into Assyria, in the case of the northern kingdom, the ten tribes in the north, or into Babylon, uh, the two tribes in the south, uh, 
about the time when he is doing that, God raises up prophets, great prophets, such as Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, and so forth. And they all give Israel a rekindled hope by reasserting God's intention to fulfill his promises towards his people. So even when the people are being um, sent off into bondage and slavery, right, God still gives scripture through the prophets that he raises up saying, don't think for a moment that God's finished with you. No, he is not. And he is going to fulfill his promises perfectly at the appointed time. <laughs> of course, <laughs> the appointed time is reserved until God sends forth the seed of the woman, right? And that's what we read. And so, Lisa, I'd like you to read for us uh, that great prophecy in Isaiah chapter 9. If there's anything that could ever rekindle the hope of the people of Israel, it is uh, the hope of the coming uh, Messiah, right? So, Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. Uh, Lisa, please read that for us. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end, upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice. From henceforth, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Thank you, Lisa. Wow. What, what a promise um, is found there. But notice these words, though. <clears throat> you know, it would be completely incredible if God's intention was for all these words and the, these promises here to be intended only to have a spiritual meaning and not the obvious literal meaning consistent with an earthly prophet, priest, and king, and land and nation, right? So you see how clearly it's written there, but, but of course so many have been teaching for so long that all of these words have only a spiritual meaning, and somehow the children of Israel were wrong totally in thinking that there would be a, a literal kingdom on this earth, that somehow they were unspiritual, focused only on physical things. Well, they were focused on physical things indeed, because that's what God had promised to them, right? And uh, here through the prophets, we see that there will be a spiritual dimension, but there will be a physical dimension upon this earth as well. Um, but only when it says here, the child is born, the son is given, and the government is upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And his government will increase, and the throne of David will uh, be 
so visible to all. His kingdom will be established, and with that, perfect justice and righteousness will reign. Okay, that's what Isaiah chapter 9 says. Well, uh, we could go to Jeremiah chapter 23. We've done that before to see that there will be a king that will reign and prosper, and he will execute judgment and justice in the earth. And that's the time when Judah will be saved, it says there. His name will be called the Lord our righteousness. That's Jeremiah chapter 23. Then in Zechariah, this wonderful prophecy. And Patty, I'd like you to read these verses, quite a few verses here, but they say so much, and it certainly uh, speaks very clearly to the coming literal kingdom upon this earth. Zechariah 9, 9 and 10. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation. Lowly, and riding upon an ass, and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. And I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim, and the horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace unto the heathen. And his dominion shall be from sea, even to sea, and from the river, even to the ends of the earth. And then 14 through 17. And the Lord shall be seen over them, and his arrow shall go forth as the lightning. And the Lord God shall blow the trumpet, and shall go with whirlwinds of the south. The Lord of hosts shall defend them, and they shall devour and subdue with sling stones, and they shall drink and make a noise as through wine, and they shall be filled like bowls and as the corners of the altar. And the Lord their God shall save them in that day as the flock of his people, for they shall be as the stones of a crown, lifted up as an ensign upon his land. For how great is his goodness, and how great is his beauty. Corn shall make the young men cheerful, and new wine the maids. Okay, <clears throat> thank you. Thank you. That's, isn't that a, that's a great, great prophecy in um, Zechariah, and um, looks forward, of course. Uh, at, written at a time, given at a time when Israel is going into bondage uh, for many hundreds of years, right? But uh, I didn't mean to say that, I misspoke. They wouldn't be in bondage for hundreds of years, but only uh, a short time, relatively speaking. But um, this time here, that, Jerem, that, that Zechariah uh, speaks of, this coming time will be <laughs> the 1,000 year millennial kingdom. Okay. So the hope of the Jews for an earthly kingdom, with all that that implies, will be uh, realized finally. 
fulfilled, completed, right? And so definitely uh, God wanted his people to have this hope, whatever the circumstances were that they would be living under as they were uh, carried off into captivity by Assyrians or Babylonians or Persians, right? God would eventually fulfill his promise. But it would require the seed of the woman to do that, right? <clears throat> and his second coming to the earth. At uh, that time, they didn't know the difference between the first and the second coming. Uh, <laughs> the, the two seemed to be one. And that was, uh, of course, uh, true until Christ had come. And yet the kingdom was not established. <laughs> okay, so then they knew there had to be a second coming. But let's read of that now, that first coming, right? Um, and uh, we're going to read of that in um, Luke. But um, I want to, first of all, just quickly read from Matthew. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 1, verse 20. And, and what we have here is um, the the events that immediately lead lead to the uh, the birth of Christ. Okay, it says, but while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him, meaning to Joseph, appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David. Fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that might be fulfilled that which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Okay, so God sends forth the seed of the woman here through this uh, miraculous uh, uh, conception and then birth here through Mary. And uh, then um, in Luke chapter 1, and Ted, I'd like you to read this for us, but... Uh, here we see some details uh, given of how the coming of Christ, Israel's Messiah, to this earth, the first coming, right? How that will accomplish the grand purpose of God for the kingdom itself. Okay, so uh, uh, Ted, please read from Luke chapter 1, verses 67 through 80. And his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Ghost, and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people, and hath raised up an horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all that hate us, to perform the mercy promise to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant the oath which he swore to our father abraham that he would grant unto us that we being delivered out of the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life 
and thou, child, shalt be the prophet of the highest. For thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins, through the tender mercies mercy of our God, whereby the dayspring from on high hath visited us, to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit, and was in the desert till the day of his showing unto Israel. Okay. <clears throat> Thank you, Ted. Well, I hope you're seeing as we look at these prophecies that in all of them there's a reaffirmation of God's promises to his chosen nation and people. And the focus, though it's spiritual, is very, very earthly, right? There is a focus on the spiritual. We see that in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, and Luke chapter 1, verse 77. It talks about remission of sins. It talks about salvation there. That's promised for God's people Israel. But the context of it is very much uh, on this earth, right? For example, blessings of home and family and peace. Their enemies, lifelong enemies, have been destroyed at that time, right? Destroyed once and for all, it seems. <laughs> and, uh, and therefore, they live in peace on this earth in the land that God had promised, right? And uh, their city, the city of Jerusalem, is in fact the very center of the government of the earth at that time, right? Um, so all of these promises look forward to a coming earthly kingdom. And I think if we do not take scripture literally enough to, that we see that, that the coming kingdom is earthly and physical as well as with a strong spiritual dimension. If we do not see that, we're missing out on all that God has promised for Israel, right? And in the same breath, we're missing out on what God is doing today because we are living under grace today and not under that kingdom law. The two are very, very different. Next time, we're going to focus specifically on that. Let's go on, though. Israel's kingdom hope was not only rekindled, uh, but also offered, offered, and this is now after the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord that the kingdom is offered. In Acts chapter 3, we've already looked at that, and I'm not going to look at it again today, but we see that the prophet finally had come, the promised prophet had come, but he was crucified buried and then was resurrected right and at that time peter preached that they must believe that that their messiah had come and at their own hand they crucified him right but that he would he would return from heaven's glory and judge them in the world if they would not by faith submit to him so that was the message peter preached so the promised kingdom was offered he said if you will do this as a nation then you then the, the lord will return right 
well, some believed. There were even thousands that did, right? Thousands out of the whole nation. But the nation itself was not transformed. That was proven when not that long afterwards, Stephen was martyred and then God turned to the Gentiles by raising up Saul, right? Uh, so a lot of God's prophetic program for his people, the Jews, remains to be fulfilled. It has not all been fulfilled yet. And um, the kingdom promises still remain. But, you know, it is going to be glorious indeed on this earth someday. Those promises will be fulfilled. Israel's kingdom hope finally will be received. It will be received. There will be a godly and an elect nation of Israel. They will be regathered into the land of promise. Uh, the throne of God will be reestablished. The temple will be built. And um, Israel's Messiah, our Lord Jesus, will rule on that throne for 1,000 years. And as prophet, priest, and king, uh, he'll be revealed openly to the world, right? Uh, everything will be focused on him and his rule from Jerusalem. And we could read about that in many prophecies. We've already looked at some. I just want us uh, to finish up today. I'm going to read from Revelation chapter 19. <laughs> these, the, these great words of the Apostle John, they're near the end of his great book of prophecy, the book of Revelation. Chapter 19, verse 11. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. That's a description of the king coming, the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ to this earth defeating his enemies and raising up his nation Israel, right? This coming kingdom will not be as many have expected <laughs> who have received the word of God not properly uh, divided, right? This kingdom will be very different from what has been promised, but very 
very uh, clearly it has been revealed in scripture as to what its nature will be and uh, it'll be a rule of absolute law where the law is enforced by the lawgiver uh, who is in fact our Lord Jesus Christ right um, believers will be exalted unbelievers will be judged and uh, it will be a glorious time, at least at the beginning of the kingdom. There will only be believers. There will be no unbelievers. But children will be born, and uh, unbelievers will uh, be brought forth, uh, who at the end of the kingdom will be led by Satan, who will be released from bondage. Remember, during the kingdom, Satan and all of his associates, the other fallen angels and demons and so forth, will all be in bondage. So there'll be no influence in the kingdom from them until the very end when they'll be rele released. Um, so during that kingdom time, righteousness will reign upon this earth and judgment will be executed. It'll be a perfect government. Finally, there's never been one like that before. A perfect government with perfect rules and a perfect ruler and justice will reign well praise the lord for that i hope it's so clear and um, there's no confusion at all in any of our minds regarding what god has promised and i hope it's equally clear how different grace is today so Praise the Lord for that. Uh, grace reigns today. Let's not uh, turn aside to kingdom law when we already have the blessings of grace. And uh, through that, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Are there any uh, questions or comments by any before we uh, go to the Lord in prayer today? Any questions or comments? Okay. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, thank you for gathering us today. These words are clear. If only uh, blindness that still remains on our hearts to a greater or lesser degree, Father, even um, if that could be removed, we would uh, just certainly praise you and thank you for that, Father, that we might understand clearly exactly what you will do in the future day when christ reigns upon this earth and what you are doing today under grace father we rejoice in that christ's blood has been shed it is uh, sufficient this uh, paid the penalty for all of our sins and we live in the glorious uh, light of that grace today and may we uh, reign in life Father as uh, uh, as those who have received those blessings and uh, know them well Father thank you for the empowering that you give to us and the new life that lives within us through our Lord Jesus and for the Holy Spirit who continues to bless us in ways uh, that are just unnumbered without number Thank you, Father, for uh, each one who's gathered here with us today. For those that couldn't be with us, Father, we just commit them to you. And uh, 
Father, whatever the burdens are that that are borne by your people, Father, I pray that we wouldn't forget your great love and your great grace. And Father, we would thank you in Christ's name and amen.